Clay Craby here with another edition of the Reasonable Theology Podcast. As Christians, we benefit greatly from the ministry of our fellow believers, and this includes those who lived long before our time. Thanks to their preserved writings, we can learn from pastors, authors, and theologians from throughout church history and have our faith strengthened through their faithful lives. But even though these great works have stood the test of time and are readily available in both print and digital form, we don't always make use of the storehouse of spiritual treasures that we have access to. Our guest, Jared Payne, joins us to talk about how we can benefit from the written works of the Reformers, Puritans, and others, and how we can develop the habit of reading older works. Jared runs a Pilgrim's Coffer Theology, which is dedicated to urging the claims of Christ's cause, advocating the revival of godliness, denouncing error, bearing witness for truth, and encouraging the laborers in the Lord's vineyard. We'll talk about the value of older works and how they provide unique helps in our modern times. Along the way, Jared will share some of his favorite works that he recommends all Christians read, and you'll come away with a solid list of books to add to your shelf. You'll also learn of a digital tool that can grant you access to -to hard-to-find and out-of-print theological and devotional books completely free, and learn about a new magazine that can help you expand your biblical and theological knowledge, as well as your personal library with great works from the past. You can learn more and explore additional resources at reasonabletheology.org slash pilgrim. Jared, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to it when you reach out to me, so it's... uh... Exciting to be able to chat with you. Now, glad to have you on. So to begin with, uh, for those that aren't familiar, haven't come across you online, can you tell us a little bit about what a Pilgrim's Coffer Theology is? How did it come about and, and what are the different aspects of this ministry of yours? Okay, so I, pr- I probably have to start a little bit before a Pilgrim's Coffer started. So I spent uh, the better part of a decade in corporate tax accounting. So that's what I had gone to school for and done those things. Not really my personality, but you kind of uh, pick up those those traits of of uh, you know structuring and categorizing and you know keeping things keeping things in their own little buckets. And so um, as I once I got out of the accounting world, um, one of the things, thanks to a friend of mine who uh, actually that I worked with. Um, was I was getting, I'd always liked theology, but growing up, um, I had never been introduced, I think like a lot of people, to deep doctrines and really substantial older writings and and things like that. And so they were never really on my radar. Um, And I I began getting into that. And pretty much I, I I knew right away that I was going to Hey, I'm reading this. This is so good. I need to save it somewhere because I'm going to want to go back and find it, right? The counting mindset, right? Like I've got to be able to know where it's at and somebody's going to ask me um, something about grace or whatever. And I'm going to have read this perfect quote or that have this perfect paragraph out of something I've read that I'm like, you know what? You just need to read this. It's going to be better than, you know. And so I really started, um, I started picking up some different things that I hadn't read before, uh, you know, had gone through and read like Pilgrim's Progress and, and uh, you know, was getting into a little bit of Spurgeon stuff. I mean, everybody kind of knows about Spurgeon, I think, whether you get it deep into theology. But um, and so it basically wound up to where I, I said, I need to I, for me, I want to save this, this information and be able to say, 
on these topics, here's some really great extracts and where I can go back and find them in my collection. And so for probably an hour, I thought, well, I'll put this out on, and I'll make a big spreadsheet. And I started thinking, you know, there's got to be other people like me who are going to, who would make it easier for them if I'm already going to put the information down. Why not just make it accessible to somebody else? Right. I mean, is that not the goal of, of what we're doing a lot of times, whether it's evangelism or theology? I mean, we're not just right kind of harboring it for ourselves. So I thought, well, that's what I'll do. And so I started out with a WordPress and I kind of battled back and forth on uh, a name for it. And I'm usually always the guy who does is like, un, I, I'm either traditional or I'm just unconventional as far as what people would normally do. And so I kept thinking, and for some reason I kept coming back to it that, um, you know, like when the pilgrims came over, they brought what looked a lot, a lot of them, if they could brought what looked like, um, th- they're called coffers, right? And so they look like small, um, small little furniture at, that you put at the end of your bed. You know, that I think of a lot of times like a, um, like a, little blanket uh, piece of furniture that, you know, keeps your blankets at the end of your bed. Well, they had those and they would put them down at the bottom and it'd have a lock on it. And that's where they would keep like all their valuables. And so I started thinking, okay, what am I doing here? And, you know, I'm trying to get these kind of riches, so to speak, and get get them piled up and kept together in one place where I can find them and enjoy them. And so I don't know if it was the coffee I drank that morning or whatever, but it, it wound up being a pilgrim's coffer, right? This is for a pilgrim like me. This is where I'm trying to get all my stash of things that I think have um, a positive effect for eternal value kind of in the same spot. And, uh, you know, hopefully it would wind up being that for other people as we as I went along. But, uh, yeah, that's really, really where all it came from, to be honest with you. Sure. No, and I love that name, a pilgrim's coffer. I think... Uh, it just, it has this nice classic sound to it. I think it's, it's got a great story and very descriptive. And, and so you're putting things into this coffer, uh, things that you've read and ex- extracts from sermons and mm-hmm. books and everything else. And so how, how are you going about taking those things out and then sharing them as far as your website goes? So, uh, so when I, so when I first started on the website, like when it was primarily on, on WordPress, um, I was, at that time, and I know that's probably something we'll discuss later, but at that time I was, you know, I would try to read a book all the way through, you know, and I would go through, but I'm a, I'm slow because I'm highlight. You got to remember, I'm trying to get these sections out and record them. And one of the things when I looked for, does anybody do anything similar to this is people would list the quotes, but would tell you, give you no idea where it came from. And I'm like, that's not worth anything to me because because people ask me, well, especially if you get challenged on one, like, well, who said that? Well, where did they say it? There's been a, just because of the course of history, you get a lot of misattributed quotes. And so I was like, I'm not, I don't want to get into that. Again, my accounting stuff kicks in. I'm like, okay, it's got to be, it's got to be, I got to know it's, it's right. So, um, yeah, so I pretty much went into it that way and started sharing extracts out of books. I didn't even really have a blog or anything. I do technically have a blog that I will put some pieces on. Um, 
occasionally I'll write things or I'll just put little extracts that maybe wouldn't make it otherwise. But that's uh, not something that people are probably going to follow all the time because it's real hit or miss uh, with everything else I've got going on. But once I um, once I, I move I move my site over and kind of got a more fully functional site, I was already I had already started coming up with some designs just piddling around with a Spurgeon mug and a We Preach Christ mug, you know, and people liked them. So that kind of picked up. That was never an intention of mine to get into selling things like that, really. Um, But it's been fun. And it's a lot of people, I really enjoyed seeing a lot of people, how much they enjoy getting some of these mugs. And I actually have handmade mugs uh, from Seagrove, North Carolina, which is 15 minutes down the road from me. Um, a lot of things like that that are fun. You're able to support local businesses. All my screen printing is done by a guy here, right here in town. And so it's been enjoyable on that front. Um, but pretty much as my library grew and with the accounting background and things, I'd, I'd already been into collecting, believe it or not, old watches, old timepieces, you know, real, you know, mechanical stuff. And so I'd already had that collector esque type gene or bug or whatever you want to call it. And so it was very easy and natural for me to get into um, looking for trying to build out kind of a, a collection that would cover most, a lot of areas. And then of course, all those have little rabbit trails you go down as you read certain people, when you get to references made about this guy and that guy. So uh, with the magazine, pretty much, um, you know, I'm a I'm a Spurgeon, quote unquote, you know, collector, so to speak. That once I started going down that route, that of course is um, there's always going to be kind of a primary piece there with Spurgeon, and it's always um, something that allows direct is really good at directing because he he references so many people. He brings in so much material. They did book reviews and gave you wonderful recommendations. So I pretty much a lot of times will start there and then we'll go into kind of some other material. But the magazines of old, uh, the ones that they did, The Sword and the Trowel, people know of that one, but they're probably most 99% of people aren't going to know. Um, the Gospel Magazine and Protestant Beacon, uh, that was one that Spurgeon liked from way back has great material in it. Um, a little bit harder finds like the Baptist messenger. Um, that has great stuff. He liked the quiver. He liked some of those Sunday, re- what they were called Sunday reading books or, or magazines or whatever. And so they pretty much would all at the end of the year, like the sword and the trowel and like the pulpit books, they would accumulate the monthly printings and then bind them. Those give such a good outline or a template, I should say, for magazines that people that's just not, nobody does it anymore like that. They so they're they're wonderful about having some little editorial things in there. Then have some of the preachers' ser- recent sermons from that month in various you know in various areas, um, and then they might have book reviews, which I don't know that I'll get into that anytime soon. But you know, book reviews. They would have updates on things, and so it was really interesting the way that they did it. They had tracks, so some of the tracks that the penny tracks that they would sell for people to give out. Um, you know, they would print them 
in there. And so on like this issue, the, I guess it's the inside of the back cover or the second to last page. If you, somebody subscribed digitally has a track that's from the first month of the sword and the trowel. And so at the bottom, I think, I believe it says you could purchase for a penny, you know, to give those out. So they would do these little tracks and have an artist design something. They did that for a number of years. So there's just so much good material and, and, and such a great template that is brings in that classic kind of traditional Victorian type flavor to doing something that you just don't see today. And I find, I've found that a lot of people resonate with that. They seem to enjoy something that is, I don't know when the last time somebody's really, you know, tried to try to come out with something in that vein. Yeah. And there's just so much good stuff and it's great to have folks like yourself. You know, that's a lot of the things that, that I try to do too. I started the website for, you know, reasonable theology for much the same reason. I was uh, trying to, to put together teaching resources, then it goes sit in a drawer. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. I might as well just turn this into a blog and put it on the internet. Maybe another 20 people will get something out of it. So absolutely, yeah, lots of great stuff out there to be able to, to gather together and to share. And you mentioned these old great magazines. You actually now have a magazine yourself. First issue just came out, right? Of a Pilgrim's Digest, and it's going to feature sermons and articles and hymns and other resources. So could you share a little bit about how that new endeavor came about and, and what you're looking forward to there? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I technically called that one the Pilgrim's Digest, which I probably should have stayed consistent and said a Pilgrim's Digest. But um, so, so this issue has, um, for example, uh, has a, a Spurgeon sermon to lead it off. I probably will put a Spurgeon sermon to lead off most of them, um, but I'm not going to hold myself to that because there's so many good sermons books that I've got in my collection from even guys that he really liked. Um, but I wanted to start with the series of of um, series of writings that, if you continue to subscribe, would collect basically a larger work into your library. And so that was one of the things that I wanted to do. If you know, um, so for instance, I've the exposition I've got. Uh, Andrew Fuller had, I believe, thirty two discourses on Genesis. Um, I wanted to put that along with A.W. Pink's John. So if you know anything about A.W. Pink, much of his writing came out of his studies in the scriptures, his, his monthly magazine that he did. And that started in 1922. Well, the first seven years, so 22 to 29, include his exposition of John. So if you ever go out and find an exposition of John book, it is technically chapter after chapter of each month of the studies in the scriptures. So I know I wanted to share that with folks. And if you're doing John, it's, it's, I've told you, it's the perfect opportunity to go through Genesis, right? Because you're, you're seeing the physical generative work of God and you're seeing the regenerational spiritual work of God at the same time time. They start with the same things. They're, they're, they're work. So that's theology, I think, is beneficial to uh, read at the same time and see these, these types and this imagery that we see between the two. So I wanted to do Andrew Fuller along with that. Um, I had never, I know people have done some things with, with Pink, obviously, but Fuller, I just don't recall 
seeing his discourses on Genesis really at least anywhere popular. And so I did, I put those two together. So I knew I wanted to give something, give people a reason to subscribe to get volume after volume, right? If it was just completely broken up, you know, that could be something where they could wait till it comes out and then decide whether they wanted to buy the issues piecemeal, which I will put on the website after the month is up of subscription. I will put later, um, later or, or the the last month's issue for sale just piecemeal so somebody doesn't have to subscribe but i wanted to give people basically as a way to so to speak transfer my library to them have some things where over the months if they subscribe they will basically be getting something that i had to potentially pay a fair amount to get a hold of and then that way they've got them and they can just pull them off their shelf in nice little sections and read them you know piecemeal um, then the net, I, so I have three expositions. So those two fuller and pink will continue until they're done, which obviously will be a while, uh, Lord willing, right. As uh pink would say, Deo Valente, right. He would write anytime he said he was going to do something. A lot of times in his writings, he put DV in parentheses, meaning Lord willing, because you never know. Right. But, uh, then the third exposition is, um, the treasury of David for Spurgeon is his magnum opus. So most people think of the pulpit books. They would say like, what's the best thing that Spurgeon? Well, yes, but those are individual just sermons collected. The treasury of David is just unquestionably his magnum opus. It was something that I think he worked on for the better part of a decade. As he went through there, um, he took, he had to take a break in between, I think, after maybe the fifth volume and wrote the whole interpreter, which uh, the interpreter, if you ever see it in modern times, you'll see it listed as Spurgeon's devotional Bible. But it, I, I, I kind of think he would take a little bit of exception to somebody calling it a Bible. Uh, it's not entirely in order. And he, he does put some text from different places together, but he basically goes and does daily uh, entries with and goes through the whole Bible and gives like little commentary on it. So that thing is a whopper. Those That's a big book on, on large pages generally because they were read to the family. But that uh, he actually stopped in between the treasure of David to write that thing, which that thing alone is kind of a little bit, uh, you know, mind blowing. Uh, but um, yeah, it's by far his magnum opus. So I, I said, well, Again, I know this is something that's going to take a lot of time. This is a lot of issues, right? Um, I know I haven't gone through every one of them, but I'm sure, um, you know, like Psalm 119 and stuff, it's not going to fit into one issue. It's going to be so over 150 issues, obviously, is what it's going to take to get through all those. But what Spurgeon did in those, in that Treasury of David, where he goes through where he not only goes through kind of verse by verse with the psalm, but he then comes and gives quotes and references to other comments made from John Trapp and William Romaine and all sorts of guys that from way back and gives wonderful uh, quotes to use. But then they go at the end and he had some of his, I can't remember who he said. I read it somewhere. I don't know if it was, Vernon J. Charlesworth or some of the guys at the pastors who worked with the pastor's college and Vernon J. Charlesworth worked um, 
he was the headmaster, I think, of, over the orphanage. But he had some of those guys help him do like the hints. Well, they did explanations. So he would go through and give some explanations with different quotes after he goes through the psalm. And then he goes through and gives hints to the country preacher or whatever it says. And so they basically give very simplistic outlines of sermons on every one of those psalms. It's just the work that he did and thinking, considering that he didn't have any technology and he's literally sitting in his library or he had some in other places of his house. But so he's sitting in his house and he's got 10,000 to 12,000 books and he's just going and pulling. (laughs) And it's just really, it's really amazing that he was able to even do that along with all the sermons and everything that he did. So I thought I would regret it if I didn't start giving people the the kind of the monthly psalm. And uh, then after that, it's just, it's a little, it's going to be a little bit fluid. But like, for example, this month, I've got an article out of the Sword and Trial, which was written by his brother, James Archer Spurgeon. Um, That one might be pulled from a lot of different places by a lot of different people going forward. But the articles are really well written. And some of them, yeah, some of them it's hard if you didn't if somebody didn't tell you who it was and what time period it was, you 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 would go, man, this has a lot of value to it, and think that maybe somebody wrote it in the past fifty years, and um, just really solid stuff. But then I did a, a sermon outline, and then I did a systematic theology portion. Um, so I will probably include the sermon outlines. I think I've gotten some feedback from pastors as I've gone through some of my library and put sermon outlines to that they enjoyed seeing how uh, like Robert Murray McShane, for example, went through a passage and basically how he broke that out. Um, Sermon outlines, honestly, are probably one of my favorite things to read. Um, Just just pound for pound, how quick you can go through them um, and see where they're going with the text. And even just in an outline, you go, man, they are really extracting a lot of gold from that from that text. And so I thought that would be helpful for pastors particularly. And so I'm trying to kind of fill, fill the gaps um, where I can so that the layman, the pastor, the theology student can all benefit from these types of materials. And I'm not really pigeonhole uh, pigeonholing too much on certain things. So I know there's a lot to say kind of about that, but there'll be a little bit of fluidity in there. Um, I've had people ask me, are any, is anybody modern? Are you going to have any modern articles like uh, friends of yours or pastors, right? And I probably will. And I'm, I may do um, portions of guys' sermons maybe once in a while. We'll kind of have to see how that goes. But um, potentially, like I say, as if, if, if the subscri- subscriber count, you know, continues to grow, then, you know, at a certain point, I'm probably as feasible, will probably try to start adding length, you know, more length to it, more content. And hopefully, just like I say, do what it entails, kind of make a, a digest and a little bit of a, uh, you know, a small shelf coffer for somebody to, to peel through and, and be able to have a lot of resources. Yeah. Yeah. 
If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all-new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching, articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. So check it out at chspurgeon.com. Yeah, it sounds like it could be a really solid resource. Encourage people to check it out. We'll, of course, link to to your website and to the magazine and all that stuff. You can find it at the show notes for this episode at reasonabletheology.org slash pilgrim. Encourage you to, to check that out after you've listened to this conversation. So you obviously have benefited a lot by you know from Spurgeon and Puritans and the Reformers and all these folks. Why do you see it as really important for modern Christians to to look deeply into the lives and into the writings of those who have come before us. Well, you know, I mean, as as much as I have kind of gone through, I'm I'm certainly no expert on a lot of this stuff, and and I have a lot of friends that are far 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 more well read than I am on these. But you know, having gone through and having a lot of a lot of the guys on my shelves that I can pick piecemeal through and and look at when I get the opportunity. Um, I think that when you look back in in that point of of history and you see how spiritual so many of these men were in a time period where it required uh strong conviction and it res- uh often required uh, a lot of courage and these men and women there's some great women writers from the 1800s that a lot of people don't get a chance to read who would write some hymns and some of these little, some of these small books that, you know, some of the were, were very well received. Um, but they went through the material, uh, they, they, they read so much scripture. You can tell it just pours out of them with the way that they write. They read others. And I think that they, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of it where the way that they the way that they put scripture and put their words together were so deep and so rich. Some of them extremely pithy. Uh, you know, if you go through and read um you know, some of the, some of the guys that a lot of people have probably read through like Banner of Truth, uh, you'll get just in a, in a sentence or two, they can say what it takes a lot of us to say in a paragraph and the sweetness and the richness and the imagery that they give is just something that is generally from a bygone era that doesn't even come to a lot of people's minds you know, when they're asked to describe uh, some of these doctrines or scripture or even just practical and experiential Christianity, you know, from, from their standpoint. So yeah, there's, there, then there's guys who it's, they're more for the intellectual type, you know, you get into the Owens and the, some of these things and you're going to have to kind of have your thinking cap on a little bit more, but yeah, I just think that they devoted more of their time to, you know, far more to, to reading scripture, to uh, just knowing God's word, 
being in tune with the Holy Spirit, and it just pours out of their words. It just floods out. And so um, for some people, I would say that, you know, there there can be a little bit of a learning and reading curve uh, for some of them. There's going to be things that you haven't heard, but in large part for me, I always took that as a benefit to kind of help educate us and intellectually stimulate us to know and understand more and and be better with our words and to be better with our imagery and our metaphor, how we talk versus, you know, not to get in a cultural or or social discussion on that end, but where I think is, you know, in in past decades is kind of more of a decline of, of that type of language. And so I think it's, uh, I think it's helpful on many fronts, but yeah, that, that covers most of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I often think of it too, in the same way as you think of, of a hymnal, um, where Mm. these things have stood the test of time. These, these classic works have stood the test of time. And so some of the things that are still in print, uh, there's a reason for that, you know? Absolutely. Um, so I think that's really important for people to think about. Are there, you know, maybe two or three works that you think should be on everyone's reading list? Well, you know, I, I, I feel like on a lot of those, I, I wind up being a little bit, uh, you know, ecumenical in, in the sense of, of uh, I wind up being kind of what a lot of people say, you know, you kind of cover a wide spectrum because you don't know where people might be in their, uh, in their spiritual growth and how new they are to Christianity and some of those things. I, all of grace is probably pound for pound, one of my favorites. And of course I'm going to like a lot of Spurgeon stuff. So, but for Spurgeon, particularly, I would say that that all of grace could be for a newer believer who doesn't really understand Christianity. Um, I think just the the way that he goes about explaining uh, the aspects of grace and justification and and regeneration and all these things, I, I think uh, for for people who are spiritually struggling or in difficult times. I, it's, it's such an uplifting, encouraging book. Um, I, I mean, really, anytime you talk about grace and you talk about, um, you know, God's work in his people, that should be, you know, it should be an encouragement, obviously. Um, but so pound for pound, I think, I can't remember that book's, I didn't think that book was more than, you know, 130 pages and it's not a bunch of small lines. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's like 120 pages of kind of small on the, on the, uh, especially on the reprints. Um, and then probably one of my favorites as far as being pithy and just the extracts is what is, is, um, the, you know, is the body of divinity. Um, and so I think that, well, you've got a lot of body of divinities, obviously. Um, you know, Gill's probably my favorite when you're going through a lot of his stuff. There's a lot of the body of divinities that I think, especially as you're going through scripture help. Um, but the, you know, practical religion by Ryle was, you know, is just everything so applicable in every chapter that he goes through there. I just, I can't imagine it not covering up pretty much anybody who reads through that. That's kind of a common one. Um, 
for people to read. And, and of course, in, especially in more reform circles, your, um, you know, your sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink is just solid gold. I mean, it's so good. I, you know, I love that. And, um, if you're getting to kind of some of the social things, which I mean, it, you just have to Christian, you know, as far as Christianity relates to the culture, um, Christianity and liberalism by Machen is just incredible. You know, it's, of course it's gonna, it's, it's a little bit more from kind of taking a perspective, a standpoint at that time, but half the stuff he said could have been written, you know, two years ago. So it's, uh, you know, that one, I, I really enjoy that. I think that one, I kind of judge some of the things. Now, I can't highlight in some of my older books, so that's the only downside of it. But sometimes I'll consider how many highlights, how much of my page is highlighted as to whether or not how useful that is. And so a lot of these guys wind up being chocked full. Um, but, I, re- you know, The Knowing Gods by Packer, um, I- I- any of those, I mean, you hear those a lot, but it's for a reason. And uh, I've already said like Treasury of David, if anybody's ever going through, not just wanting to go through Psalm, but but it really touches everything in scripture, you know, just like like the Psalms do. And he, the way he goes and breaks out and is is referencing all the other places, you're really, you got tentacles out through all of scripture. So it's very encouraging. But then I would say, I encourage a lot of people to read old sermons. I think some of the old sermons that I think, I think far less people probably read sermons than they read works. And so some examples of really good sermon books. Um, let's see. I think the, I think Westminster prints, um, Old Death, Where Is Thy Sting by John Murray. Those were actually, um, I think given to students at a college. They were uh, discourses, but they, they almost read like sermons, you know, they could be basically, sir. Oh man, solid gold. I mean, that stuff's solid gold. The, um, the, the, the sermon that I put in this month's, um, sermon outline for the Pilgrim's Digest was McShane. If you go into memoirs and remains of Robert Murray McShane, and then there's also additional remains that Andrew Bernard did, um, that he collected solid gold. I mean, so good. It's, it's almost, you're reading it and you're just some of them I've read and I just feel like my mind's blown just because I'm like, man, he's, that is just an incredible, incredible sermon. So yeah, there's a lot of, it's kind of hard to narrow it down. So I would say all of grace and then probably, probably, I don't know, I guess I'd say practical religion just for what it, for what it covers. But yeah, it's, if you, if somebody came over, I wouldn't, I don't, I'm having to do that because you're asking for a list, basically. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot that's kind of uh, would be difficult to say. But I, I encourage people to, uh, and and part of what I hope this does is uh, that the magazine and the website. I hope it brings to light some people that maybe they've heard of that they're not very familiar with, and I will always reference where things are from. And I hope that it encourages them to go out and look at those different sources or, um, you know, use Google Books, for instance, to your advantage. So many of these old books. So I'm not referencing new printings. I'm referencing generally the original or a really old print. 
uh, you can go on Google and type in the name of some of these old books and click on the little books category, you know, where you got images and shopping and click on books and then go sort by full preview so that it shows you the whole thing. There's a lot of these books that are on there for free that you can just go open up and see the original scan of the 18th, you know, the 19th century, 1800s book uh, printing of that. And you can read a chapter and see what you think. But man, you know, for me, the proof's in the pudding. You just got to get your hands on some of it and read it. And you go, didn't know that guy existed, never heard of him before, you know, and you just kind of start to see how rich that time period was. You know, it was really a blessing from God to have so many of those men uh, around the same time bringing out this material and uh, delivering, you know, the content and the sermons that they did. So, um, yeah, I would encourage people to do that. There's just, you'll be pleasantly surprised and you may wind up finding a favorite that nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. And so these are the the types of things that you're sharing. You're reading a lot of this stuff. You're encouraging other people to read a lot of this stuff. What would you say to the Christian who has just not developed a habit of reading at all, whether it's old dead guys or modern living guys or, or gals or whoever? Yeah. They're just not in the habit of reading. So what would you say to someone like that? How would you encourage them to maybe uh, do a little work to develop that habit? Yeah, I would say, and, and I'm not the world's best at uh, at reading. Like I said, I wind up picking little pieces, reading a chapter here and there because I've just got my, I've got so much in there, you know, that I don't, on some of these books, if I went full books at a time for what I'm doing, for what I'm working on, I'd, I'd never get through you know, in 10 years, I'll still have 90% of my library left. So it doesn't, you know, so it's kind of un- unfortunate, but I like, I like a little bit of the, the, the mixture, but I would say that you need to, you need to read and you need to get the, the thoughts and the, the, spirituality from people not in your time period, not from your church, not because there's so many misconceptions, misunderstandings, or just voids. Not I don't mean that intentionally on on somebody's the the, the pastor's part or whatever, but you know, nobody's perfect. There's just so much about the about the spiritual life and about scripture and its realities when it comes to a practical and experiential standpoint that we often, you know, how many times do you hear somebody say, well, I grew up in church for 25 years and never heard of this. And you, you know, I felt that way. And so the only way that you're going to be able to maybe even something that's just unknown to you, that you don't know that you're missing kind of a, a deeper understanding of some things uh, is to get into some of this, this material and to, re- and just to read, you know, I would say in general, just if it was read somebody or don't read, I would say read somebody now, but you're, you're getting recommendations from people and you don't need mine. There's far, you know, better men and, and uh, publishers and things that give, these recommendations to material like this. And there's a reason for that. So I think uh, you would be, you know, I just wouldn't want people to relegate themselves to 
the sun their their pastor's Sunday sermon right. and and then go home and you know occasionally read a paragraph or uh you know a one chapter out of scripture you know twice a week or something i mean sure i mean i would do that versus versus nothing but the the perspectives that you gain on these guys who devoted their entire lives i mean you've got guys who devo- devoted 50 years 60 years of their life and uh depending on who you're talking about uh, they might have lost their life for it, <laughs> or you know they 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 accumulated. Spurgeon, for instance, I think when he, I think when he died, he left just like twenty five hundred pounds to his wife. Now she had the house, right? They had the house there, and she and she lived there till they died, and then I think the boys sold off. But do you know how much how many how much sales those books had? So how do you think Spurgeon, how do you think they paid for the Metropolitan to be built, the orphanage to be built? If you've never seen pictures or drawings of those things, uh, Spurgeon put so much of his money into these, into these things and, and, and left and, you know, 20, and, and devoted an entire life to that. And so it is, you know, and that you can get other, you can get even greater extremes if you go to like the George Mullers, right. And who, who was friends of Spurgeon, but there's just so much that I think you'd be missing out from people who God showed such great grace to and kept them to lead such lives that should be something, you know, many of us should aspire to. Not, not necessarily to just our goal to be to do what they did, but to be those type of people, you know, to be those type of men and women in Christ. I just think... um you're, there's so much encouragement and there's, I just would hate for somebody to miss out. I, I know how growing up a lot of times I felt um, when your understanding of Christianity and and how it applies to life was so one dimensional in a lot of ways, right? You went to church Monday or Sunday and, and Wednesday, you heard sermons and then that was pretty much it. Right. And you didn't really know any of these old guys. You didn't know, you know, you're going to a Protestant church. You didn't know the guys who died so that the Protestant church would be there. You know, you didn't know. So there's just so much that I think would enrich the understanding of um, a believer's uh, view of Christianity, how that plays out in in, um, their life in, in a practical sense. And then you know, just, just the history, just understanding kind of the dispensations of time, you know, how God uh, works through his people and how he's worked throughout the globe. And, and there, there's so much, um, there's so much wonderment and grace to draw from the things that have, that have taken place. Uh, And some of the stories are just hard to believe, you know, some of the men and some of the things they did and their stories are just hard to believe. And I, I feel like this day and age, when we see so much, you know, to kind of borrow from like Bonhoeffer, right? Like kind of cheap grace or cheap Christianity, so to speak. Um, I think that, you know, it's a much needed thing to say, hey, you know, we need, you need, you, it'll be for your betterment for you to understand that that's, that's not real grace and real Christianity a lot of the times. Yeah. And you know, if you had the opportunity to be mentored, discipled, 
by some of the, the best pastors and theologians and, and Christian thinkers, you obviously wouldn't pass that up. Well, the next best thing is, is they left a lot of writings that we can go through. So 100%, you know, as absolutely. we as we wrap things up here, where can folks go to learn more about you and your ministry and even subscribe to uh, the Pilgrim's Digest? Yeah, so you can just go to www.apilgrimscoffer.com. Um, up on the top menu, some people have asked where the the Pilgrim's Digest is. Up on the top menu, if you're looking on your phone, you might have to expand the little two bars. Um, but I've got the Pilgrim's Digest up at the top. I've got the bookstore, which I generally will sell um, some more modern reprints, but also uh, I do sell some of some of the old books that I get in uh, just because I'm going through so many. Um, and then I've got a shop. I don't know if it says gift shop or store, uh, but that's where I'll have the t-shirts and the coffee mugs. And uh, I've got lapel pins. You know, a lot of pastors have kind of liked having the, the lapel pins. Um, I may have some ties coming in soon. Uh, working on some different designs for that type of stuff. Um, probably, that's probably more just for my enjoyment. Uh, I just love getting some of these old Victorian designs out to people. But um, yeah, but just go to a pilgrimscoffer.com, browse around, or just uh, email me at uh, a pilgrimscoffer at gmail. Or yeah, I've also got jspain at a pilgrimscoffer.com. But really, either one um, that's listed in the. Uh, in the Pilgrim's Digest as well. But yeah, just reach out to me and uh, let me know if you have questions. I always enjoy hearing from people and seeing how I can uh, help them out. Excellent. Well, be sure to link to all those resources that you mentioned, as well as, you know, the different books that we talked about in this conversation. Again, the show notes for this episode, reasonabletheology.org slash pilgrim. Our guest has been Jared Payne. The website is a pilgrimscoffer.com. Jared, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, brother. Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.